Um, by the way, you can, you can follow. How many you have? Would you raise your hands in Navarre? I want you to raise your hands. Blackwater, not so much. Here in Gulf Breeze, I want you to raise your hands. How many of you guys have um, version downloaded on, on a smartphone, on an iPad? Okay, would you pull it out? I want you to pull it out. Go there real quick. You can go there real quick. And I really want to just take a few seconds here to do this. I want you to pull out. I want you to go to version. I want you to go to more and then go to events, okay? And what you can do is you can follow along with the notes. I got all the notes for you right there. So you can see how Pastor Tim is doing on time. How about that? No, that's not why we put it there. We put it there so that you guys can follow along. You have the notes. You have my notes, what I'm going to be preaching today. So don't get up and leave and say, we already got your message. It's mobile. We're taking it with us. Um, no, but the notes are right there to help you. So go to more, go to events. And uh, then you can follow along. But I love what God is doing in his church. God is building his church. When it comes to God, nothing, nothing at all comes close to the passion that God has when it comes to people. God loves people more than anything. And he says as his church that we're to do the same thing. We're to love people. And it's hard to love people, isn't it? Isn't it hard sometimes to love people? But you know what? If we're going to be Jesus followers, we got to love people. And I want to tell you, not only is it hard sometimes, I think most of the time it's incredible to love people. This morning, man, I tell you what, I was taken back. Stephanie came up to me and she said, hey, I took the boys this morning to Dunkin' Donuts and Gavin saw an orange donut. And he said, oh, we got to get, there's a Tennessee orange donut. You know, I just tried to brainwash them early. And, uh, <laughs> hey, by the way, any Alabama fans out there? Congratulations. You, 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 yes, I figured I might, I figured today, honestly, would be high attendance Sunday. Because every Alabama fan that hadn't been to church in forever would be here this Sunday. And they would want to say, I can't say it, but what you just said. So, uh, no, congratulations, man. Incredible game for you guys. Really miserable game for us. But, uh, you know, I loved it. Gavin came running uh, a little bit later after Steph told me that, and he had the bag. And he came running to me with a bag. Daddy, daddy. And he just had this excitement about what he had been thinking about. And he said, Daddy, I got a donut. He opened it up, and I played along. I pretend like I didn't have a clue. What you got? What's in there, big man? And he, and he opened it up, and he showed me this donut. And he's like, that's a Tennessee donut, Dad. You know? And uh, he walked in at some point last night. You know, I don't know why, but my boys have this thing where they're like, we'll watch the second part of the game with you. Maybe that's because Tennessee's been a second-half team this year. I don't know why. But, but he walked in. And he said, Dad, why is Alabama beating Tennessee? You know, he said that last night. And. And if you know my family, my father-in-law is a massive Alabama fan, huge. So, so, yeah, we'll be making a phone call later and congratulating him again. And, uh, but but Gavin, Gavin runs out there, and he's got this sack with this donut. And he, Dad, look, look, look. And, and afterwards, I just, man, I just want to give him such a big hug. I just tell him how much I, I love him and how much I appreciate him. And, Gavin, you're just a great son. Why? Because he loves his dad. We have a heavenly father that so much more than that little story could even compare to. When we go to our heavenly father and we do what Nehemiah did and we see what God sees, then we begin to feel what God feels. Then we begin to care about what God cares about. Then 
we begin to be filled with God's courage, then we begin to move and do something about it. Are you with me? And I'm telling you, when we get in the position Nehemiah got in where he was like, Lord, here I am, use me. Don't you know he prayed that prayer? That's a dangerous prayer to pray. God will use you. He'll take you up on it. You know, there's some prayers God answers really quick. You know, I quit praying for patience a long time ago because I had a week I'll never forget. Every red light, every red light. It was green, it skipped yellow, went straight to red. I'm like, Lord, you know, he's like, you remember that prayer? There's some prayers God will. But when you pray and say, God, I want to care about what you care about. God will do that. Yesterday, I was reminded, you know, as we talk about Nehemiah, God giving Nehemiah a vision. I was reminded of some women started with one named Christine. Christine Kane, you may have heard of her. Little, little Ozzy, she is filled with the power and passion of God. She uh, was broken over human sex trafficking. And yesterday, all over the world, so you can't actually change the world. People say, we can't change all the world. We can change the world. We can change the world. Jesus died 2,000 years ago, and the world's still being changed. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I believe we can change the world. I believe we're called to change the world. I believe if we don't believe that, we ought to just shut this thing down and go fishing. You know? Like, we are called because we are capable of changing the world. I love that. Oh, Nehemiah, God has this vision. I'm reminded yesterday as Christine Kane posted and, and just A21. You ought to look it up if you're not familiar with that. We've had a couple of videos. We had the walk yesterday. I want to say thank you. We had seriously probably 60 people from our church that showed up for the walk yesterday. It was amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. And, and to think that God... Will will God God will put his greatness and he has put his greatness in our heart to do something huge. You see, it's not us. And most of the time, most of us spend most of our lives thinking to less of ourselves and not enough of God. Are you with me? We think, man, I couldn't do anything. And Satan is just in the ear telling us every time we failed, every time we sin, he accuses us. He reminds us. And, and as I was reminded this week that we don't have to fight the devil. Jesus already fought him and won. We don't have to fight him. That's good news today. There's a lot of hope there. We don't have to fight Satan. He's already been defeated. Just in case you didn't get the memo, he's already lost. Jesus won. Resurrection was game over for him. And he's going to do everything he can with the time that he has. But his time is limited. Make no mistake. He is the created and there is a creator. And I was just reminded this week about human sex trafficking and, and how that vision got birthed in a, in a little thing. I've heard Christine many times in person speak. And, and, and I, I don't know. She might be five foot two if that. Maybe 90 pounds if that. But God has put his vision in her heart, and she is making a difference. You know why? Because she's realized it's not about her. It's all about him. And God didn't use David because David was the biggest with the Israelites. God used David because his heart was the closest to the fathers. 
And God wants to do the same for you and me. We stood there yesterday and, and just heard, man, heard a mom talk about how her daughter had been kidnapped and they're still looking for Jessica. And I want you to pray. He said, I don't even know who, that's all right, God knows. I want you to pray every day that Jessica will be found. Do you know that human trafficking is the fastest growing crime in the world? And yesterday as we went on a walk and we had everyone walking, there were hundreds of people there. I was just so encouraged. And I'm looking as I'm walking, I'm looking on Instagram and I'm seeing post after post after post after post from people all over America and literally people from all over the world where they're saying, you know what, we're going to be a voice for the voiceless. By the way, that's called the righteousness of God. If you ever wondered what God's righteousness was, it's justice. And so when the church cares about what God cares about, then the church gets to experience what God is willing to do. We like to think of that as momentum. That's what God wants. And so I want to tell you today that wherever you are, if you're stuck in the mundane paying the bills and you're like, man, I'm just trying to five more years and I'll have my car paid off. And and you think that's the greatest thing. We all live there. Listen, I understand. But I'm saying if if that's the big thing, I want to tell you something. God is so much bigger than than your car payment, our car payment, your house payment. That's so big to us. That's so little to God. God wants to do something so big in you. If you'll be willing to open your heart and allow God to put inside what he wants to put inside and to breathe his breath on you. That's what God wants to do. It happened for Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah, man, found favor with God. It's a great day when you find favor with God. You know how you find favor with God? Humility. That's how you find favor with God is humility. You see, humility precedes honor. Nehemiah knew that. And God lifted him up. And God can lift you up wherever you are today. Out of financial trouble out of family, bad family relationships. I mean, you, maybe you think your family should be the next, con, next uh, person on the Jerry Springer show, and it's like crazy what's going on in your family. I want to tell you something. God is in the business of changing families. You think, not my family, Pastor Tim. Yes, your family. Maybe it's your business. Maybe business is headed south, and you are, man, you are just wrestling with it, and you're stressing over it. God is in the business. God is in the business of favoring his children and allowing us to see what only he can do. I was at a property today that we're believing God for and praying over that property. And, and um, you know, they're, they're asking $2.75 million for this property is what they're asking. And I just told God, God, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little intimidated. Do you ever feel intimidated? I said, Lord, I'm a little intimidated because when we started this church, We said, we're not going to go into debt. We're not going to take loans. We're going to let the Lord through his people do what God wants to do. We're not going to have this awesome building and be, you know, $20 million in debt, you know, and not be able to love on our community. No. And and we're not going to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to lend and we're not going to borrow. That's what we're going to do. That's the church we're called to be. And so this morning as I was praying on this property, I just said, God, this is intimidating to you. And I, I just sense you know i didn't hear god speak but i just sensed like god was smiling and he's like good you know that's good man because then you need me and and daddy can handle it daddy's got this that's not nothing's too hard for god 
You know, Steve Furtick wrote a book, Sun Stand Still, and he said this in the book. He said, if your faith, if what you're believing God for, in other words, if it is intimidating to you, excuse me, if it's not intimidating to you, then it's probably insulting to God. And so as I was praying over the property today, I just began to feel like, you know what, like God is smiling. And God's saying, man, I got this. You keep believing. You do your part. That's called faith. I'll do my part. That's called provision. Isn't that good? It's so good. You know, what it did for me today was just cast my cares on him because I know he cares for me. There's no problem too big. There's no wall that God can't build. There's no wall too tall that we can't scale with God's help. As I was there just praying over it, just believing God for it, just reminded what God can do. God can do anything. We need to believe bigger. That's the message today. Believe bigger. And I'm going to call it sticky vision. Because to believe bigger, a lot of people have to be convinced. They have to be convinced. And when people are convinced, they'll follow. I've said this definition a few times, and I'm going to say it a few more times. But I love Andy Stanley. I read this book. You ought to get this book. If you're a reader, you ought to get a book. This book, if you're a leader, you ought to get this book. If you lead anything, think about leading anything, dream about leading anything, you ought to get this book. Outside of the Bible, this is definitely one of my top five. I've read it, reread it, reread it, reread it. And uh, it says, Making Vision Stick by Andy Stanley. And uh, this was the book that I used at our first vision cast right here. This was the book. Can I read to you what I talked about that night? Let me just take you there in case you weren't there. In fact, most all of you weren't there. (laughs) There's a lot of empty chairs, man. We had like 28 people and half of them were there to fill a seat, man. They weren't even going to come to our church. They had another good church they were going to, but they loved Tim and Steph and probably more Steph than Tim. But I talked to them that night and I talked about, you know what? Here's what is and here's what could and should be. Here's what I see in the church. Here's what is. Here's what could and should be. Number one is debt. When I look at churches, I see a lot of debt. I'm not here to badmouth any church or tear down any church. I've just known a few churches that debt really kept them from doing and being all that God wanted them to do. So I wrote what could and should be dollars to deploy. Do you know that's what your church does? We deploy dollars. You know that 15% in the summertime, it goes down. 15% of people that go to church, including this church, they tithe. They tithe. And, and, and if, if all of God's people tithe, um, then you know what? It would just be a new day. In fact, in a year and a half, let me just say this right now. If in a year and a half, if, if our people just tithe, we'd be able to buy land, build a building, and pay cash for it. If God's people were just obedient. Thanks for saying amen. Who, I owe you money, whoever said it, because that normally is a quiet spot there. But that's the truth. That's the truth. And, and most people, they think, I, don't, I can't trust God for that. And because you can't trust God to be trusted, you will never get to experience what God can do. And you say, well, my bills are more important. You know, I got I to feed my family. God wants you, and this isn't about money. This is about your heart. God wants to know that you trust him. First and foremost. And so we deploy dollars. We did it Friday. Friday, every Friday we cook for Gulf Breeze football team. Every Friday, Pastor Ray does an amazing job with Navarre football team. We, you know what? God's put us here and there. And and we love both schools. And we've been able to bless many schools in this area. We deploy dollars. 
In fact, this last week, Ray, you went to the to the police officers and loved on them and went to the school and served them. And, and people came up to Ray. Ray called me so excited. That made my day. They came and they said, man, we just want to tell you how awesome it is when we get a turkey for Thanksgiving and we get a handwritten note. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You see, love is what we lay down because Jesus was love and he laid his life down. They might not believe the message just yet, but they will believe the love. And so I wrote here, man, a lot of churches in debt, but we're going to believe God for a church for dollars to deploy. And that only happens when God's people are obedient to God and do it his way. It was in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and it still works today. In the church, I saw low trust, and I thought, you know what? In the church, we ought to have high trust. If there ever ought to be a place where trust is a must and not a bust, it ought to be the church. People ought to be able to believe. Like, we're watching TV, and I, I don't know where you are in this election, you know, but you know, do, do, who do we trust? Who do we trust? Because they said that yesterday, and then they said that today, right? And trust is huge. Man, the church ought to be a place where people are like, we can trust that because we can trust God. I wrote in here, you know what? A lot of churches, they're either really good in evangelism and sometimes weak in discipleship. That means following up with people that gave their life to Christ. Or, or they're really good in Bible studies and, and, and they're reaching nobody. You know, they, they've got, they keep going deeper and deeper and deeper in the word. They're just not inviting people with them. And so God put in my heart, you know what? What could and should be is both. Serve is internal. Sometimes in the church, we're like, serve here, serve here, serve her, here, her. But we ought to serve not just here in the church. We ought to serve outside of the church. We ought to serve our community. We ought to serve our neighbors. We ought to cook them dinner. Ought to have them over for dinner. People ought to know, man, you know what? There is something different about them. And I believe that's what Jesus meant when he said, be ready to give everyone an answer of the hope that's within you. And when people say, what's different about you, man? Man, you're filled with, you got this thing. What is it? We can smile and say, Jesus, man, I'm forgiven. This is what it's like to be free. This is what it's like to have no shame. This is what it's like to live guilt-free. Like, come on. Like, you can get rid. You can dump and ditch the guilt. You can dump and ditch the shame in Jesus' name. That's what could be. The church is the hope of the world. And then, I took, then God began to stir in my heart a vision that, you know what? That sometimes the church is, is, uh, is quick to act, but God would have his church plan ahead. And that's where I'm at right now. I could tell you so many things about where we're headed, and God is saying, hold, 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 hold on, Tim. And we're not just holding. We're working, and we're planning. And when we lay out this vision to you, it's going to be laid out right. You're going to be proud of your church. And there will be a time where we call to say, here it is. And we cast the vision and say, now, church, it's time to sacrifice together. It's time to get on board. Maybe you want to start today. We won't stop you. Amen. Amen. But planning ahead. That's what Nehemiah did. We've talked about it for weeks. Then, then the Lord began to start stirring my heart for this church. This would be our church that, that you know what? Um, limited funds for the poor, but we would be a church that would minister to the poor. We'd be a church that would minister to the poor. You see, the poor is near the heart of God. God says when you, when you 
When you bless the poor, you are loaning to God and God pays all of his loans in full. When we, when we clothe them, when we visit in the prisons in Blackwater, when we feed the hungry, whatever we do to the, to the least of these, to people that society has forgotten about, whenever we do that, Jesus said, you do it to me. So we're going to minister to him. And then lastly, prayer is minimal. And what could and should be is that prayer is the deal. That's why we pray. We got to pray just to make it today. God said, my house will be a house of prayer. Now watch what Nehemiah did. Look at your notes. Nehemiah had vision. Andy Stanley said vision is a clear mental picture of what could be. And it's fueled by the conviction that it should be. We've talked about how that leaders have vision. They see farther than other Others see. You see, Nehemiah knew the problem, but he could picture the solution. Leaders not only see farther than others see. We said last week, leaders see more than other people see. Nehemiah knew that the wall, he knew that the wall could be and should be rebuilt. And he gathered the resources to do it. Number three, we said last week that leaders see before others see. Nehemiah realized the problems ahead of him. And yet, he planned accordingly. He knew the resources he would need. He knew that there would be opposition. That's why in verse 13 and 14, he goes out by night. He goes out quietly. And then a couple of things that we've learned. I want to review real quick. Number one, Nehemiah identified with a problem. That was chapter one, two through four. Number two, we said Nehemiah invested time in prayer. We just talked about prayer. That was chapter one, four through 11. Then Nehemiah connected with the key influencers. Nehemiah chapter two, one through nine. Then we see Nehemiah inspecting the situation. We talked about it last week. That's chapter 2, 11 through verses 15. We talked about inspecting what you expect. That's one of the greatest leadership principles I've learned. To inspect what you expect. Because people don't do what you expect. People do what you inspect. Proverbs says, which one of us can always be counted faithful? So you know this if you're a leader. You know this if you're leading people. You have to inspect What you expect. Ronald Reagan said, trust but verify. So today, on a few things here, Nehemiah cast the vision. We're going to talk about that today. Cast the vision clearly and convincingly. And that's uh, 16 and 17. We're going to learn Nehemiah encouraged the people with past successes. Listen, listen, listen. Whenever you have a challenge in front of you, here is a huge secret here. Remember and reflect what God has already done. If you remember and reflect what God has already brought you through, then we're more able, more capable of believing what God can do. Do you hear me, Navar? When you believe because you, you remember and you reflect on what God can do. What he's already done. Boy, that really helps us with today. David. I know David wasn't in this with Nehemiah, but we're going to throw David in the picture for a second. Goliath. But before Goliath, he's standing before his king. And King Saul, way bigger than David and a whole lot more fear than David. Fear was Saul's lid. It wasn't David's lid. Did both men feel fear that day? Absolutely. You'd be crazy not to. But one pushed through the fear. One went and hid. Saul says to David, man, you, the, 
put on my armor. And he tries it and he says, man, it's not going to work for me. This is your stuff. I got to go with God. I got to go with how God created me, how God wired me. And he said, like, I don't know. And he's trying to talk him out of it. That was King Saul. Even though he wanted someone, he just felt bad that he's going to have to explain to David's father, Jesse, why he was irresponsible in letting little David, little shepherd boy, go face this beast of a man. And what did David do? He said, let me tell you about the time. And he remembered and he reflected on the lion. You remember that? And the bear that he killed with his own hands. Okay. See, when you remember what God's already done, it's a lot easier to believe in faith and confidence what God is willing and wanting to do. So encourage your people with past successes. Maybe you're here today and you own a business. You're leading a business. Maybe you just became a GM. Maybe you're a manager. Maybe you're leading an office. Maybe you're leading a family. Maybe you're leading your kids. The principle here is to remind those around you of the past successes. And as Christians, we know where the glory goes. The glory goes to God. So who are you reminding? How long has it been since you personally were reminded? Since I personally reflected on what God has already done this morning. I was walking the property, just walking around it, believing God, praying, talking to God. And I've just started thinking about how faithful God has been in Momentum Church. Great is his faithfulness. Never once have we ever walked alone. I remember being in Tampa, Florida, when God had called us to move. It was five years ago this month. God entrusted us with this vision. I remember thinking, how in the world? But how is God's business? Yes, sir, is my business. How is God's business? How are we going to change the family? How am I going to get back with my wife? How, how is this business going to become profitable? How is God's business? And if you lack wisdom, we can go to God and he gives to all men freely, liberally. If we'll go and we'll ask, Nehemiah knew it. Nehemiah encourages the people, but Nehemiah received the product of good leadership. We call that buy-in. Let's look at these verses. So though it was still dark, Nehemiah 2, 15. So though it was still dark, I went up the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the walls before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. The city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing. Now, why did they not know? Because he was strategic. He didn't want them to know because he knew that criticism can kill the vision. If the vision is not solidified in your heart and mind, the littlest and the lowest criticism can kill it. So, oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. If God has put a vision in your heart, then be smart. And don't tell everyone everything. Mary pondered these things in her heart. Mary did. So they didn't know why, because he was strategic. And, and it goes on and said, I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders. But there would be, come a time where he would speak to the Jewish leaders. To the priests, to the nobles, to the officials. Notice these are people of influence. Or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them. You see, if you're going to get the job done, then you got to get the key influencers on your side. You got to explain your heart. You got to cast the vision to them. Now he's ready to talk. 
And he says, this is amazing. We're going to break it down and be through. He said, you know, he's talking to the people, leaders included. You know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us, I love that. He turns the me to we. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told him about how the gracious hand of God had been on me. You see, God calls a leader out. God calls a man. God calls a woman. It's in the Old Testament. Man, God called Deborah out. You got to read about her. That's an awesome story. God called men and women out to lead. God always calls a person. He doesn't call a group. God always calls a person. In the crowd, God always looks for the person. Just like Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to him by night. Just like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus climbed a tree. And in the crowd, Jesus saw him. Jesus always calls the individual out. He'll call you out. When he calls us out, we are all of a sudden at a place, what we will call a crisis of belief. That's where Moses was at the burning bush. Uh, 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 God, God, I, you, you want to use me? I, 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 I can't talk. And God said, but who, who made your tongue? Who made your mouth? God always calls a person. God always moves on a person before God creates a movement. God's looking for you today. And all you have to do is just say, God, I'm here. I surrender. What do you want to do in my life? Christine did it. There are people all over the world taking a stand for justice yesterday. And as soon as you do it, you will see lives begin to change. In Jesus' name, I believe it. He says this to him. And he tells him about how the gracious hand of God had been on him and about... My conversation with the king, that was favor. Remember, he fasted, and favor always follows fasting. They replied at once, yes, this is the people. This is celebration. This is touchdown. This is huge right here. This is a grand slam. All the people said, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. But when Samballot, Tobiah, And I'm not sure how you say that name. Geshem, maybe. The Arab heard of our plan. They scoffed contemptuously. They, they said, what are you doing? Are you, re- are you trying to rebel against the king? That's what they asked. And he said, I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. That's called faith. That's called faith talk. Now, what are you looking at today that seems bigger than you? Do you believe that the God of heaven will help you? Do you believe, do I believe that the God of heaven will help me succeed? If we don't, then we're never going to experience all that God has. I heard about this guy that went fishing, and he went fishing, and man, he took someone else to, to teach him how to fish, and they're in the boat, and the guy caught a great big fish, and it was awesome, and he throws the fish back. It was huge, man. It was like a, a really big fish, and foot and a half, man. He was the biggest fish he ever caught. He's like, wow, this thing's huge. And he threw it back in the water, and the guy that was teaching him said, why'd you do that? And he said, well, I've I've only got like this eight-inch frying pan. That's all. You know, we laugh, but you know, we do the same thing when it comes to our spiritual life. 
We discard the miraculous because of an eight-inch frying pan. They need to take that back to Walmart and get a bigger frying pan and believe God for more. Are you believing small today? Are you believing God for big? You see, Jesus wants you to know that, that he knows the plans he has for you. The plans he has for not them, because he got plans for them too, but the plans he has for you to prosper you, to prosper you, to bless you, to bless you. I love this. They push back on him. They accuse him. That's what the enemy does. But he comes back saying the God of heaven will help us succeed. We as servants will start rebuilding this wall, but you have no share, no legal right or historic claim in Jerusalem. You see, here's what he did. Look at your notes. Number one, he stated the vision simply. He stated the vision simply. They knew why he was there. Number two, he cast the vision. You see, vision doesn't stick very long and vision doesn't stick very well. In fact, if you lead a group of people, they say every seven days you need to recast that vision at the least. Uh, Ritz Carlton say cast it every day. Say, you know what we do? We get our people together before they start their shift, and we go over our values every day. And we say it, and we memorize it, and we do it. Do you know, maybe, um, well, let me say it like this. We have people here that serve, and I'm so thankful for you. We gather out here on Sunday mornings. We have a, a team huddle, and then we break out into individual huddles. Those people, the parking team, man, today, this is what we're going to do, guys. Today, man, we're going to wave. Today, we're going to park people to a spot. Today, we're going to smile. Today, we're going to welcome people, man. We're going to be authentic. We're going to be helpful to people. It's, it's what we do. If you're going to cast the vision, you got to cast it convincingly. In order to do that, here's what you got to do. Number one, you have to define the problem. you got to start with a problem. you got to start with a problem. And then you have to tie vision to the problem. You got to tie. Here's what we're going to. I know where we were. I know what was all wrong. I know what was broken. I know what was not right. I know what was torn down. I know what value got cold. But here's what we're going to do. So you don't start with the preferred future. You start with the mess. You address the mess. Someone say address the mess. You'll never get to your preferred future if you don't address the mess. If, If your team maybe gets a new coach. And he just comes in there and he never addresses all what's wrong. Guess what? It doesn't matter what he says. The losses are going to keep coming. Are you with me? So you define the problem. Here's what Nehemiah said. Jerusalem lives in ruins. Their lives are living in ruin. And they're okay with that. But I'm not okay because God isn't okay with that. And by the way, if you haven't seen it, people, the gates have been destroyed and burned with fire. That was the problem. He drew attention to it. He described a plan of action, what we're going to do. And he determined what was at stake. When you determine what's at stake, that's when the people's hearts will be grabbed. That's when the people will get it. That's what he does. And it wasn't just something that should be done. It'd be cool if we did it. It was something that must be done. You see, when you cast vision... Here's two things to think about. What's the need or the problem that your vision addresses? What is the need? What's the problem? Number two, what will happen if those needs or problems continue to go unaddressed? What will happen? Well, 
Not only did he define the problem, but he offered a solution. Wherever you are, we all have a job. Anyone can, de- anyone can point to the problem. Few can define the problem. Everyone can point to the problem. Few can really define the problem. But even fewer can have a solution to the problem. So offer a solution. I, I just want to bless you. If you let there be light and there's light. Thank you. I don't know where that came from, but all of a sudden light came on. There's light. And then it went off. Then it's, listen, wherever you are, go to your boss. Listen, if you, wherever you work, you might bag groceries. You bag groceries. Be different. Don't think, man, this job sucks. No, no. Bring your A game. Have an awesome attitude. Be like, man, I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be ahead of the rest. I'm going to do this not for men. I'm going to do it as to the Lord. I'm going to do it as the Lord. Don't worry about promotion. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west, the north or the south. It comes from above. It comes from God. God looks down and he exalts people in his time. Everyone wants the promotion. Not everyone wants the stress. So be your best. Be your best where you're at. And then you know what? Look for what's wrong. And don't just see what's wrong. Define it. Think it through. Go to your boss with a solution to that problem. Have a little ownership in it. Because you know what? The manager, the district manager, the regional manager, all the way up to CEO, all the way up to the owner. You know what? They want it to be right. And so when you keep your eyes open, you're like, man, I'm going to make a difference. You make your company better. And the best way you make it better is to look for problems and fix them. That's what leaders do. And that's what Nehemiah did. Don't just point to the problem. Do you know they say, I heard this statistic recently that 85% of Americans hate their job. And that might be due to maybe some of work life could be better. But I think a lot of that is just to us. Because we're just dissatisfied. Maybe instead of trying to make a difference. So I want to challenge you wherever you, if you work at McDonald's, if you lead, if you're the CEO of your company. I want to challenge you today. Not just Point to the problems. Define the problems. Hey, if you lead your company, here's the truth. The people might know the problems better than you do. Truth is, what I'm learning is the more you grow, the less you know. If you're not careful, if you are not intentional, the higher at the top. That's why I love the the show, Undercover Boss. And the Undercover Boss gets in there. I love that. That's a leadership show. I love to watch it. He gets in there and he's like, good night. What in the world's going on? We got to fix this. We got to fix this, right? Y'all with me today? We got to fix this. And until you know, you won't go. And so he offers a solution. You see, vision has a mission, and it's to solve the problem. And here's what he said to solve the problem let us include others with you. You want to do something great? Get over yourself. Realize you're not all that. Realize you need people and bring people with you. But it's lonely at the top. But it doesn't have to be. Bring people with you. He cast that. Let us, the included people, rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. The wall of Jerusalem. What problems, is a good question to ask, what problems do our people believe need to be solved? That's a great question. If anyone works for you, you ought to think about this question. What problems do our people believe need to be solved? You got to go to your people and say, man, what problems need to be solved here? Get your managers together. Maybe you get campus pastors together. Maybe you get people that 
that, man, they're just in it. They're in the trench day in and day out. They know. Ask them that question. And then, then we're almost here, almost done here. But then he presents this reason. And this is when you present a reason why we got to do it, it's we got to do it and we got to do it now. And this is the why. We start with the why. This is why something must be done now. And Nehemiah says this. We must, here it is, end this disgrace. Three words. Incredible vision. You see, that wall represented the glory and protection of God and all the people around Jerusalem mocked, laughed, thought their God was asleep. He must have slept in. He must be unavailable because he's not. He's 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 not around. Where's your God at? And Nehemiah knew that was the why they must rebuild The walls. You see, Jerusalem was to reflect God's glory and his greatness. Jerusalem being in shambles misrepresented God. In other words, it made God look weak. Two questions we must ask ourselves as a church, as God's church, as a people, as a husband, as a father, as a leader, at your business, your organization, your corporation. We need to ask. What or why must we do this? If you're going to cast vision, if you're going to make that vision stick, if it's going to be sticky vision, if people are going to say, yeah, 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 we got to do this, and and you're going to have a a buy-in process, then you must ask the question. You must answer the question. This is why we must do this. And this is why we must do this now. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you just a few questions. I want to ask you, what in your life must change? Where do you need God to work? Where do you need God to come through in your life? Where have you settled? Where have you been okay with it? And it's not okay. Maybe it's your marriage. You guys, just life, man, it's just busy. You go separate ways. You don't even know what to say to each other, you know? Sometimes life gets so busy, doesn't it? We got kids going here and kids going there and I go to work and she goes to work and she goes to work and he goes to work and we work, we work, we come home and then there's more work to do. And if we're not careful, man, the mission drifts. Maybe your mission was to love each other and maybe your mission was to have a a fail-proof marriage. And over time, that vision has eroded. Over time, that vision has drifted. Maybe it was to build a company, man, and, and, and it's been a lot harder than you ever dreamed it would be. A lot harder. And you're wrestling and you're struggling and you're, you're feeling discouraged. You're feeling defeated. Get back to that vision. Maybe, maybe it was a vision that God has been putting and placing in your heart and in your life and in your mind. Maybe it's a, a dream that God's birthing in your soul that there's more, that God wants, that, that to, he's stirring something in you. Maybe you're at this holy place of discontent and you're, you're wrestling with it and you're frustrated. That's a good place to be. No woman ever gives birth without pain. And when God gives you a vision to birth, mark it down. Pain will be a part of the game. But don't quit in the pit. Because new life hangs in the balance.